You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We'll get to those stories in just a moment, but first we begin with some breaking news. The Canada Border Service Agency made multiple arrests at Hastings Racecourse today. Reporter Julia Foy is there right now. And Julia, this obviously took a lot of people by surprise. Absolutely. In fact, right now there's a lot of people here getting ready for the race that's just about to start. But this morning at 6 a.m., 12 hours ago in the barns behind me, there was quite an exciting scene. A number of Canadian Border Service agents and we believe another group called GPAC, they were here and they went inside the barns and started picking up and chatting with a number of people who were working in the barns. Now, we understand that up to 25 people were taken away for questioning. We've heard that about 15 of those people were later released, but there's still roughly 10 people, and it's uncertain where they were taken and what's been going on with them. Just a few moments ago, there was a statement released from the Canadian Border Services Agency, which reads that the CBSA conducts enforcement for actions when it's believed that a contravention of the Customs Act or Immigration and Refugee Protection Acts occurred. Now, as the investigation is ongoing, it would be inappropriate to release any more details. So back here at the track, as you can hear, there's lots of people gathered here tonight. We will be chatting with people to see if they have any sense of what this was all about. It happened 12 hours ago, and we're still not sure where those folks are tonight. Chris, back to you. All right, Julia, thanks very much. Julia Foy reporting from Hastings Racecourse tonight. All right, now, expanded boundaries, no limits on fleet size, and no caps on price. Those are just some of the regulations that customers and drivers will be living by when ride hailing hits the road in a few weeks. Richard Zussman is live in Victoria, and Richard, there are some no-go zones as well. There absolutely are, Chris. Some restrictions on where ride-sharing vehicles can go, excitement from the ride-sharing community, but a lot of disappointment from taxi drivers. We knew ride-sharing was coming, now we know the rules. This is the beginning, and this will emerge in time, so I would say this is a very good day for, for ride-sharing in BC. The Passenger Transportation Board laying out these regulations on Monday. There will be no cap on fleet sizes for ride-sharing companies, but the province will require any company operating in BC to provide ride data. In different parts that we operate in the U.S. and in Canada, um, we know that we need to work with the regulators um, and uh, we're always uh, happy to sit down and look at what their requirements are. There will be no maximum ride price, which means ride-sharing companies can charge more during peak times, like after a concert, a Canucks game, fireworks, or on New Year's Eve. There will be a minimum price, the same as the starting fee for a taxi. It's important, though, that that those companies are open to to uh, the situate the, the pricing situation that's there that people know uh, what what the scenario is. One restriction is ride-sharing companies will not be allowed to pick up or drop off at Canada Place while cruise ships are in. The government overall not thrilled with the board's rules. We're concerned uh, about uh, congestion. Uh, that's one of the reasons why uh, we're concerned about the fact that uh, no cap was placed on licenses. Taxi companies are frustrated, especially those in Surrey. Ride-sharing companies will be able to operate anywhere in the greater Vancouver area, while cabs are only allowed to pick up in their designated municipality. 
but they also have the, the opportunity uh, to revisit uh, and to look at this as more data becomes available. Applications will be accepted starting next month with the promise ride-sharing vehicles will be on the road here by Christmas. All right, Richard, you mentioned ride-sharing won't be allowed at the port for cruise ship passengers. A lot of people might be curious about the rules out at the airport. Do we know any more? And the province says the airport itself is reviewing it now in terms of deciding whether there'll be designated pick-up and drop-off areas at the airport. Airports like Pearson in Toronto, Chris, originally did not allow ride-sharing vehicles. Now they have designated areas. Also hugely important in all this, the taxi industry, the Vancouver Taxi Association telling me just moments ago they feel annihilated because of this and betrayed by the government. They have demanded a meeting with Premier John Horgan around these rules and they say they're going to try their best to appeal it. They're just not sure how. All right, we are not done discussing this yet, I'm sure. All right, thanks very much, Richard. (laughs) A happy and miraculous ending to the search for a four-year-old boy missing in the wilderness near Mackenzie. The child found safe and sound, surviving on blueberries after spending a night alone in temperatures that dipped to single digits. Paul Johnson has more on the search effort that led to the thrilling outcome. A little boy gone missing in a forest like this. As a mother myself, I can't imagine not knowing where my child was for three minutes, never mind 30 hours. Four-year-old George Hazard Benoit had been sleeping in the car as his mother and a friend gathered berries near Lions Lake. When they got back to the car, he was gone. That triggered a search effort which at its peak numbered 200 people. As Saturday night came and went with wet and cool weather, the town of Mackenzie was bracing itself for news. When a break finally came Sunday evening. It was the uh, helicopter that spotted George and directed a uh, police dog team that was on the ground to George and was able to uh, get to him and uh, essentially rescue him from the brush. Little George is being kept in the hospital for the time being. He was hungry and dehydrated when they found him, but otherwise unhurt. Monday afternoon, his father was reached on the phone to share the miraculous news from Mackenzie. As soon as I saw that helicopter, I had this overwhelming sensation of just calmness. really explain it. It just... I knew that George was home. Paul Johnson, Global News. New details and images tonight in a suspicious death on Vancouver Island. Police are now identifying a man found dead in the driveway of a Saanich home on Saturday as 30-year-old Andrew Michael Sider of Victoria. Officers have been able to track down some of Sider's movements prior to his death and have obtained surveillance video. Investigators say he was wearing the same clothing in the video as he was found in at the time of his death. However, police have not recovered his backpack nor his shoes. Anyone who finds these items is asked not to touch them, but to call police immediately. Vancouver police arresting a man in connection with a carjacking involving a pregnant woman and multiple crashes that followed on the city's west side. It all unfolded around 8.30 last night. Ted Chernecki has more on the mayhem and where police eventually caught the suspect. A summer's evening in the normally tranquil Kitsilano neighborhood. At Alma and Forth, about 8.30 in the evening, a young mother, eight months pregnant, is waiting in the passenger seat for her husband to return, the engine idling. The suspect came up to the vehicle, 
uh, entered the vehicle and demanded that she leave. I wouldn't know what I would do, or I would, I would just make sure to just be safe, and I would just, yeah, yeah. get out of the car. <laughs> Police begin a standard containment, blocking key getaway options, but the carjacker slips out and is later spotted near 70th and Granville. Police quickly surround him. The couple was behind us, like they were chasing and they were like going so fast. And we saw maybe about 10 police cars. It's a tree that eventually stops the stolen Honda Pilot, but not before the carjacker crashes into three other vehicles. He's spotted walking away from the scene. Fortunately, some patrol officers did spot the suspect uh, walking in the area and they arrested him. As any parent knows, the closer you get to giving birth, the higher the stress levels. That would be really dramatic, you know, it's uh, stress. Yeah. I believe she felt horrible. This is a, a traumatic experience for anybody who's involved in this. And because of her advanced stage of pregnancy, we wanted to make sure that everything was okay medically with her. The suspect's name has not been released, but he is known to police. He's 22 years old. He's charged with robbery, assault with a weapon, and dangerous driving. He's also been released with a promise to reappear. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Campers at a growing tent city in Oppenheimer Park in Vancouver give a notice today that it's time to move to social housing. The Vancouver Park Board instructed campers to remove their tents and belongings by Wednesday evening. Our Grace Key has more on the deadline, and Grace, they've got stable accommodation for a lot of the campers, but it's not without controversy either. So all day we have seen outreach teams, Vancouver Police and Park Board people working with the homeless folks here, trying to find them some alternate housing. Though some of the homeless people here we've spoken with said that housing simply isn't suitable for their needs. So in three days we'll see where it goes. It's on an eviction right now. After months of escalating violence and fires at Oppenheimer Park, people have been given notice. Park Board workers went tent to tent, hounding out orders. Structures must be removed by 6 p.m. Wednesday. Outreach team members will be at the park for the next three days to help find housing for the homeless. BC Housing has identified more than 100 available units in publicly owned and non-profit run buildings. Shelter spaces will also be made available while people wait for housing. But not everyone wants to move. And then they're going to come and they want the homeless people to go with BC Housing. BC Housing is useless. So they are asking us to uproot from a clean place here to go to a place that we will get infested. I could rent a place on Hastings Street myself, right? I'm not gonna move to Hastings Street. Since June, BC Housing has already found 35 people in the downtown east side other housing options. The homeless at Oppenheimer are being prioritized because of their need and safety concerns. Just in the past week alone, there were 21 violent incidents in and around the park. Several people in the park have already agreed to housing. Many of those rooms are SRO rooms, but they're all in government-run or non-profit-run buildings. Uh, they're all safe, clean, uh, appropriate housing. Uh, I understand many of them have actually even been renovated very recently. Exactly what will happen to people still here after the Wednesday deadline is unclear. I'm definitely going to uh, see to stay here if we can, yeah. If they want me to move, I'm going to move to City Hall before, yeah. before I move to the sidewalk again. 
So once housing has been identified, there will be workers here to help uh, some of the homeless people here pack up and transport their belongings. If there isn't a unit available right away, then there will be some storage options made available as well. Again, that deadline will be at 6 p.m. on Wednesday. Chris? Grace Key in downtown Vancouver. Thank you, Grace. There's only about two weeks now until the start of the school year. And on Wednesday, eight days of mediated bargaining will begin between unionized teachers and the provincial government trying to hammer out a new collective agreement. Keith Baldry is live in Victoria. And Keith, we talked about this back in June when there was no reason <laughs> to panic. And you say we're not quite there yet either. No, put the panic buttons away, folks. There's not going to be any job action or strike action to greet the new school year in September. The emphasis is on talks. But the BCTS still fighting a war of words with the NDV government. This is a bulletin they sent to their members on Friday. It outlines what it says will be an ad campaign across the province, uh, hammering home the message that they don't want that contract language change. Here's a bit of the ad that started airing today. The last place we thought we'd be is still at the bargaining table. But the province's negotiators are pushing hard for bigger classes, less support for kids with special needs, and fewer specialist teachers. This government promised better. Parents and teachers expected better. And kids deserve better. We can't go backwards. Nobody voted for that. A message from BC Teachers. Now, the ad, of course, emphasized the issues, the very thorny issues of class size and composition. But there's also the compensation aspect to it. And on that point, we caught up with BC Teachers Federation President Terry Mooring when it comes to salary increases. One of the key issues is how far teachers have fallen behind, especially in terms of salary over the last number of years. Uh, under the previous government, we uh, had a number of zeros that were negotiated, and all, as well as uh, very low in salary increases that didn't keep up with the cost of living. So we're significantly behind in terms of salaries. Uh, we're the lowest paid teachers in the Western provinces and the second lowest teachers in all of Canada. And so uh, that means that, you know, it's really hard to recruit teachers to BC and we have a significant teacher shortage. All right, Keith, the employer has an equal stake in this. What do they mm -hmm. say? Well, they reject the notion that they're looking for concessions. They say they want flexibility when it comes to language. I think they're locked in on the, the two, two and two wage mandate because that's what all the other unions got. I don't think there's any breaking from that, but there has to be some sort of compromise when it comes to language. Sounds like it. Okay, Keith, thanks very much. Right now, though, the city of Vancouver has been removing garbage cans in recent months in some of the busiest areas of the city. And while it seems counterintuitive, the city says there's a very good reason for it. Sarah McDonald shows us what's popping up instead. If you live, work, or simply spend time in Vancouver, you may have noticed something seems to be missing lately. I was thinking about that earlier, and people are dropping things. It's become a curious case and a talking point among some observant pedestrians. A government-funded amenity so many of us take for granted, garbage cans. I'm not encountering them. Are seemingly becoming increasingly difficult to find in parts of the city's busiest areas. You'd think it would be easier, but there's litter all along it. And if you think you're seeing less of them in and around the city, you're right. The city is removing conventional trash bins in some high traffic areas in favor of what's being pitched as a greener and more efficient alternative. 
having the larger capacity stations decreases the chance of an overflow situation happening, so it keeps litter out of the environment. City officials say it all boils down to economic and environmental factors, downsizing the number of bins strictly designated for trash in favor of fewer but larger recycling stations like this one. The on-street recycling stations provide the, uh, the public an opportunity to actually keep the recyclables out of the landfill. Whenever they come across the station, they can stop and take the time to sort the materials properly. As it stands, there are more than 3,000 waste receptacles citywide, half of them on city sidewalks, the other half in parks. Those conventional litter cans have a capacity of roughly 100 liters. Those new zero-waste recycling stations, more than 700 liters total, with three separate bins allocated to containers, paper, and garbage. On one city block, five of those smaller litter cans have been removed and replaced by one recycling station and a singular larger trash-only bin. It seems like a good idea if they could have like more of them. Since the program first started three years ago, 90 of those on-street recycling stations have been installed with more on their way. I just keep shoving it in my purse and then I wait till I get home to get rid of it. Forcing Vancouverites, whether they like it or not, to trash it or take it home. Sarah McDonald, Global News, Vancouver. All right, we've got a warning tonight about technology that you might have in your home. If you use a digital assistant like Siri or Alexa or Google Home, it could be dialing you right into trouble from scam artists. Our Consumer Matters reporter, Andrea, is here with the details on this one. Fascinating. It's fascinating. The Better Business Bureau says this has the potential to become a very big problem. Thanks, Chris. Mm -hmm. The Better Business Bureau is advising us to think twice before we ask our home smart device to look up phone numbers. Here's how you can get into trouble. You ask Google, Siri, or Alexa to find a phone number for a business and dial it for you. You get what you think is a company representative, but instead Instead, you've been connected to a scam artist. This so-called representative may insist that you pay for transactions by wire transfer, prepaid debit cards or gift cards, which are all red flags. The BBB says the scammer may also demand remote access to your computer or direct you to an unfamiliar website. So how do fraudsters do all of this? Well, they create fake customer service numbers and place them at the top of search results. Your home device can't tell the difference between a legitimate phone number and a a phony one. You know, the truth is, I know we, we all love technology, but in some instances, it may be safer to go the old fashioned way. So, for example, if you can manually go and look for the business, um, the business, the number for the business yourself, that would be helpful. For example, for ex looking at through a directory or looking through the BBB um, consumer guide listing that we have here that you know gives you a very clear legitimate number that you can reach out to. At the same time, if you are going to use um, their website, that's a very good way to contact the business, but make sure you're going directly to their website. So some good news here. So far, there are no reports of problems in B.C. or Canada. But if you do fall victim to any scam, report it to the Better Business Bureau Scam Tracker and the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my email address at consumermatters.globalnews.ca. Thanks, Anne. Almost makes you long for the old yellow pages. Almost. Okay, now to this guy. It didn't take long for the Maple Ridge SPCA to find homes for five unusual animals that were abandoned in its parking lot. The five hedgehogs were named Tito, Marlon, Michael, Jermaine, and Jackie. And music fans know they were named after the Jackson Five. After the SPCA posted pictures on its website and Facebook page, the shelter was deluged by adoption requests. 
They've been very popular and every single one of them already has a forever home. How, yeah. long, how long did it take to place all five? Five minutes, it, felt, it feels like. Uh, our phones have been ringing off the hook and our email box is full of inquiries and uh, we've received more applications than we have for hedgehogs. Are hedgehogs uh, a lot of work? They are a lot of work, they're nocturnal uh, and they do require a very specific home. Canadian diplomats say they are not getting a flood of requests for help from the approximately 300,000 Canadians who live in Hong Kong. As Global's Jeff Semple reports, yesterday's million-person march might have been a turning point in the long standoff between the government and pro-democracy protesters. After more than two months of tear-gas-soaked protests, it appears that Sunday's massive rally through the streets of Hong Kong may have finally opened the door to dialogue. More than a million people of different ages and backgrounds marched for hours in the pouring rain. And crucially, they remained peaceful. In fact, even police who had banned Sunday's march admitted they were impressed. If protests are peaceful, rational and orderly, the police will not and have no reason to intervene. And what makes this orderly and disciplined demonstration even more remarkable is that no one is in charge. We don't have single individual leader. Prominent activist Joshua Wong was one of the leaders of Hong Kong's so-called umbrella protest in 2014. They staged a sit-in that paralyzed the city's downtown for months. It ended with Wong's arrest and zero concessions from the government. And now it's a second battle. We learn a lesson. This time, their movement involves more than 100 different groups communicating with each other using instant messaging apps and constantly changing locations. It's not something that we have seen before in Hong Kong. And it seems to be working. Despite the constant threat of clashes in the streets, opinion polls suggest that the majority of Hong Kongers still support this pro-democracy movement. And time may also be on the protesters' side. That's because October 1st marks the 70th birthday of communist China. And many expect that Beijing will do whatever it takes to ensure the protests don't spoil the party. In which case, they could be forced to either give in to the protesters' demands or crack down. Jeff Semple, Global News, Hong Kong. And back here in B.C., the right to protest caused some trouble for a federal cabinet minister who might have expected a friendlier audience. When the planet is on fire, you don't talk, you don't retread last election's uh, campaign announcements. Uh, we've had it. Federal Environment Minister Catherine McKenna was in Oak Bay to announce a $4.3 million conservation program when a group of protesters broke in. One of them attempted a citizen's arrest of the minister. The protesters say the federal government isn't doing enough to protect endangered species and fight climate change. Uh, we're worried about the, uh, the lack of response from the federal government to the climate crisis. You know, it's a completely inadequate response. You know, they, uh, they promised in the, uh, in the last election campaign to end oil subsidies, and instead what do they do? They buy a pipeline. I mean, what? That's completely contrary to their, their election promise. It's also completely contrary to the science. New video connecting Prince Andrew with the Jeffrey Epstein sex scandal has the British royal family in full damage control mode. The video allegedly shows the prince at Epstein's Manhattan mansion waving goodbye to a young woman as he peers out the door. The footage was purportedly shot in 2010, 
That's two years after Epstein was convicted for soliciting prostitution involving a minor. The wealthy businessman hanged himself in a New York jail earlier this month while facing sex trafficking charges. In an unusual move, Buckingham Palace has released a statement on behalf of Queen Elizabeth's middle son saying that His Royal Highness deplores the exploitation of any human being and the suggestion he would condone, participate in or encourage any such behavior is abhorrent. Some remarkable videos showing the amazing things teamwork can accomplish. About 200 members of an Amish community in Ohio simply pick up a building and walk it over to its new location. No crane, no wheels, just elbow grease, the preferred method by the Amish. The building is estimated to weigh about 2,000 kilograms. The man who shot the video says a member of the community told him this was actually the smallest building to be moved this way. And not to be outdone, Mother Nature doing some moving of her own in Colorado. A movie night under the stars in Denver went sideways quite literally when strong winds blew away the air mattresses that had been laid out for ticket holders. A few brave souls tried to catch some of the mattresses, but they are no match for the wind. Even a fence doesn't stop the mattresses from going airborne into an outdoor pool area. The man who shot the video says this went on for about half an hour. In health matters tonight, researchers are now holding out hope for an actual cure for some food allergies. At least 17 new therapies are being studied, including pills that start with minuscule amounts of the allergen, patches similar to nicotine treatments and even vaccines. Doctors say some people might have to have therapy every day for the rest of their lives, but there might be others who can stop after their treatment. So some of the therapies are just months away from FDA approval. A British man is in Canada tonight and in the middle of a world record attempt. He's trying to become the first person to circle the earth in a gyrocopter. Global's Morgan Campbell caught up with him at a stop near Guelph, Ontario to find out why he's doing it. As the aircraft lands, you almost have to do a double take. It's even piqued the interest of other pilots at Waterloo International Airport. My initial thought was... Wow, that is a small uh, craft to be going around the world in. This is a gyrocopter piloted by British adventurer James Ketchall. He's landed in Canada as part of his 37,000 kilometer trip around the globe. He's doing it to inspire one million youngsters while raising money for two children-focused charities, all while trying to set a world record. I just focus on the things that I'm passionate about and trying to inspire young people to get up and go and pursue their own goals and dreams, whatever they may be. Ketchall is a remarkable man. After surviving a motorcycle crash a decade ago, not sure if he'd walk properly again, the 36-year-old completed a global triathlon. He rode across the Atlantic Ocean in 110 days, cycled through 20 countries, averaging 100 miles a day, and summited Mount Everest. The hardest part is taking the first step and believing that you can do it. He's one month away from completing his trek around the world. He started in March, taking off from a small airfield in the UK on a trip that's taken him through Europe, Russia. He's crossed the Bering Straits to Alaska, the U.S., and now into Canada. Just think of a distance crossing the Atlantic Ocean in that thing. That's going to be a long time, very low and slow, 
and not a whole lot to look at. And with that being said, we will let the last word go to the motivational speaker. 99.99% of people on this planet are kind, amazing, generous, caring, and can, there is no exception. Morgan Campbell, Global News. And how's this for adventure? Kayakers in Alaska watch as pieces of ice fall off a glacier after the forecast, the shocking moment they realized they were too close. That's coming up right after Christy. We'll check in with her. Some snow in northeastern BC, but I know you've got business to take care of before we get there. That's right. We love water. And then we'll talk about that snowball. I'll show you the areas that got hit and how much. Uh, so what is the best time of day to water lawns and gardens? Early in the morning, late in the morning to early afternoon, early evening or late evening before bed? I'll let you think about that one and we'll talk about the answer a little bit later. But yes, Steamboat Hill, uh, Highway 97. This is sort of up towards Fort Nelson, so north of Fort St. John. But they had quite a snowstorm last night. Some areas over higher terrain saw 25 to 35 centimeters of snow. Lower down, not as much, uh, but you can see it certainly was a winter wonderland for a period of time. Now, they didn't have any snowfall today. The snowfall warning has ended, but there are a few key areas that still could see snow as we head through the overnight period, and that is the Dees Lake area. So, not pushing into the uh, Fort St. John, Fort Nelson area, but it's just in the early morning, and it's mainly going to be over higher terrain. No warnings in place because it's not going to be significant, but you could see a little bit of wet snow before for transitions back to rainfall during the day. So that's early in the morning tomorrow. Otherwise, South Coast region, we will see some cloud cover tomorrow, but majority of that rainfall will be along the north and central coast, just touching into northern uh, Vancouver Island for tomorrow. It's on Wednesday that we'll see the rainfall. In fact, we'll see it overnight Tuesday into our Wednesday. So Wednesday, a little wet, unfortunately, but it's just one day, everyone. Here's a look at it. So overnight Wednesday, pushing into the lower mainland. It could be a slow commute uh, on not on Friday morning, so on Wednesday morning. Uh, so uh, maybe 5 to 15 millimeters of rain expected. Make sure you give yourself a little bit of extra time and then it eases to just a chance of showers in the afternoon. So backing up and looking at our Tuesday, the bulk of the rainfall will be in the north. Again, wet snow in the Dees Lake area. Southern BC, you won't see any rainfall tomorrow. Still a pleasant summer-like day. Temperatures above seasonal and mainly sunny, whereas the south coast region will see a bit of cloud cover, but it's wet. Wednesday that we're going to get wet, especially in the morning. Back to sunshine, though, on Thursday. And here's the answer to your question. So early morning is the best uh, time to do it because that's when temperatures are coolest. So it prevents evaporation and water loss due to the winds as well. Uh, we love water.ca is when you can get more water saving tips. And I'll throw it back to you now, Chris. Sounds good, Christy. You know who loves water? Kayakers. They love water. And caught on video, the stunning power of Mother Nature. Two kayakers in Alaska watch as huge chunks fall off a glacier ice bridge. One of them wonders if the entire thing could come down, and a few minutes later, they got their answer. Isn't that amazing? The bridge collapse shoots a horizontal geyser of ice-cold water right at them. Miraculously, both were soaked. One was hit by a piece of ice, but they escaped serious injury. We were soaking wet, and we were obviously way too close. We knew that going into this. Our wives told us not to get close, but that was 
probably the coolest thing that I've ever done in my life. I know what lesson I'm pulling out of that. Always listen to your wife. One side. Listen to your wife. Oh, <laughs> good one. <laughs> yep. Uh, Squire's here with Look Ahead to Sports. All right. So, I know you think all the people have been saying, oh, all the teams this summer in Vancouver are losing. <laughs> I can't steal your thunder, but you have a great opening line here that I can see right now because it's on your script, but it's a very good opening line. You like that one? <laughs> yeah. You like this one? Or yes. you actually like this one? Well, better? you've got a the few second in one. There. Okay. <laughs> well, you know that bus board that you've seen all over the city where you had various lions on the side of the bus and, of course, the... The big thing says, I think, the big statement is nothing rhymes with orange, especially winning. Because so far this year, the BC Lions have been more disappointing than that Han Solo movie was. Essentially, everything the Lions have tried hasn't worked. Even going out and paying big money for one of the best quarterbacks in the CFL didn't help either. We expected one and eight. What's your message to your fans? Yeah, I mean, we certainly didn't expect it either, and I know that they're disappointed. They should be. Um, we're disappointed and frustrated, and I, and I certainly expect our fan base to feel the same way. Um, all I can say is I know that, uh, you know, we're going to keep working. I'm going to keep working. I know the rest of the guys in this room are, um, and I've been through a lot of tough situations, but I know that, uh, you know, that if you do things the right way um, and you put the time in and you work hard enough to get it figured out, um, you know, the reward is that much better. One win for the BC Lions and a massive capital W of worry for Lions fans. The fact Mike Riley remains standing at this stage of the season, having been sacked a bone-breaking 36 times, is a CFL modern miracle. And it might take a few more miracles for BC to win another football game, the way this team keeps self-imploding game after game. That's the, the, the thing that, you, you're, that we're fighting is, is to understand that We've had a lead in seven of our nine games, and so when you have a lead in your games, you you obviously know that you can you can play. Like I told my guys today, I said, here we can play with anybody. Here, this, these are the scores of the games in the third quarter where we have a lead in these games, but can we finish with the elite? Judging by what we've all seen, the answer is no. So does that fall at the feet of a rookie head coach and for the most part an inexperienced coaching staff who at times seem ill-equipped to make defining in-game adjustments? Or does the bulk of the blame belong to Ed Hervey? The Lions general manager overhauled BC's roster. This is Hervey's team. He's the architect. And as of right now, it is far from being good enough. You want you go through these growing pains and these warts, and if you compete and win a championship, then all is forgotten. And it's like, oh, you're a genius in your building process, and now you're you're the greatest coach in sliced bread. I mean, so we understand that that's what comes with it. It comes with being a GM and it comes with being a head coach of a team and organization that's one and eight. You're going to be questioned and you're going to be judged and fans are going to be upset and, you know, their patience is wearing thin and we understand and we get that. But we got to stay true to the process and stay true to our faith. Well, considering how Mike Riley has been living the life of a crash test dummy this year, as Jay said, it's amazing he is still standing because it seems just about every other starting quarterback in the CFL isn't. The latest is Winnipeg's Matt Nichols, who suffered an upper body injury in that game against the Lions last week. He'll miss the next six Blue Bomber games, so Chris Streveler is the quarterback there now. Well, everyone talks about how bad our sports teams have been this summer, the Lions and the Whitecaps. But there is one big success story, and that's the Vancouver Titans of the Overwatch Video Game League. This is a team that is owned by the Aquilinis. 
They are the top team in Overwatch right now. And for those who know, this league is followed by millions all over the world. And the Titans are an expansion team. They're like the Vegas Golden Knights were in their first season. The only player who lost his life there was Bumper. The point, even the healing now being lost. Oh, God. Well, we've had a little bit of a glitch in our story. However, those people were in line yesterday, all excited because various members of the Vancouver Titans were there. Okay, well, we'll do that maybe tomorrow. Uh, Okay, let's go to the World Series, Little League style. Canada versus Curacao. Of course, Curacao is wearing blue. Surprise, surprise. Um, Shendrian Martinus doubles in a run in the first inning. That made it 1-0 for Curacao. There are some players from Curacao in the majors. Didi Gregorius of the Yankees is one. Curly Martha driving in a run there to make it 4-0 in the seventh. It's been kind of a rough, uh, well, two of the three games for Canada. The kids from Coquitlam had a bit of a rough outing. Tough sun here for Ty Freeman. That scores a couple, so Coquitlam goes down and out of the tournament, losing 8-1. There you go. Tough for the boys from Coquitlam. All right. Yep. Thank you, sir. A BC fishing guide is celebrating the catch of a lifetime on the Fraser River. A massive sturgeon, nearly three and a half meters, over 11 feet long. And as Linda Aylesworth reports, that's not even the most remarkable part of the story. I'll grab some bait. For Lang Nguyen, fishing isn't just a passion, it's a way of life. I started fishing when I was six and it's pretty much, I'd trained my whole life to do this. Today he owns Lang's fishing adventures, which keeps him on the Fraser River most days, where the vast majority of his clients' dream is to catch a sturgeon. That was amazing. The amazing thing about sturgeon is they can grow very big and they live very long. So we're talking about 150 years, up to 200 years. Middle of the tail, if you can. Lang delivers nearly 100% of the time. All the fish caught and released. But last week was unlike any other in his career. My assistant guide, he sent me a photo, a video of the of the fish jumping. I'm like, oh my God, that's over 10 feet. Holy mother of She was 11 feet four inches, and as much as 800 pounds. I almost passed out when I saw it. The reason, she wasn't just big, she was record book big. Right now we're tied for the largest untagged sturgeon in the Fraser River. That's exciting. I'm gonna tag this 11 foot four. That she was untagged means she had never been caught before, at least not since the Fraser River sturgeon tagging program has been in existence. In the last 23 years, we've tackled uh, you know tens of thousands of fish and uh, without those data, uh, we actually couldn't figure out exactly how many fish are in this river. We have a pit tag about the size of grain, rice, and we put that and we inject it Just behind his head. The need for the kind of information tagging offers is invaluable to their recovery. The Fraser used to be teeming with truly enormous sturgeon before an out-of-control commercial fishery nearly wiped them out. If they didn't have that pass, I couldn't imagine what would be in this river right now. They say that they can get, they can grow up to 23 feet. Perhaps with continued conservation efforts, this magnificent creature, a 120-year-old survivor of the bad old days, will live long enough to come close to that size. Knowing that there's still fish that big swimming in the river, that, that's, that's quite exciting. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. What a thrill. And, hey, we've saved it. Yeah, we got the, the hamsters. Digital... Yeah, we got the hamsters back on the yeah. wheel, so the machine is working again. <laughs> right. So, okay. 
Vancouver Titans were in town on the weekend. They are the Overwatch team, and they're one of the best Overwatch teams in the world. When some members of the team made a personal appearance on Sunday, fans lined up. Yeah, every time we come out to Vancouver, we see like uh, quite a few fans, and it's always a surprising amount for us. Uh, we're really excited every time we come out just to see all the, the old and new faces. So, um, and we actually just did a fan meeting in Seattle the other day, and there, there's a big turnout there too. So every time we go anywhere in the Pacific Northwest, it feels like we have a, a really supportive fan base. The Titans roster is filled with players from South Korea, who are one of the favorites to win the overall championship this season, despite being a first-year team. We have a really skilled team, and they won a championship in Korea themselves. And so when we came over to uh, Vancouver Titans, we all wanted to carry on the success and you know, hopefully win a championship this year. So right now we're the first seed in Overwatch League, and we're looking to enter the playoffs and win the whole thing too. Right now, the Overwatch League plays its games out of a studio in Los Angeles, but next year there will be some games at Rogers Arena. So when Bumper, one of the Titans' star players, gives away a pass for next year's game, it's a huge deal. How cool is it to not only meet these guys, but to get that? Insane! I can't believe I got it. I'm so lucky. What are you going to say to your friends? Uh, I'm going to flex on them and say that I got a ticket from Bumper. Hey, flex Bumper, he's the dude. He's going to flex on him. Yeah. He's going to flex on him. That's the new one. Yeah. Kids are saying these days. Yeah. <laughs> All right, last word on weather before we go from Christy. Sure, still a nice day tomorrow, though. We'll see a little bit more cloud. It's Wednesday that you may need a rain jacket. It's not a washout, but it's going to be a little wet. Doesn't look too bad for the rest of it either. Okay, thanks for watching. Have a great night. Ooh, what a shot in Global One.